Welcome to the Improve the News podcast for Thursday, August 3rd, 2023, where we separate the spin from the facts. I'm Adam Clark. And I'm Eric Steiner with a look at today's top stories. America's credit rating gets downgraded. Details emerge regarding Trump's January 6th indictment. Russia strikes key grain silos in Odessa. India's top court hears a petition to remove Kashmir's special status. A report says thousands will die from UK foreign aid cuts. The Pittsburgh synagogue attacker is sentenced to death. Severe floods are triggered by China's heaviest rain in 140 years. While Iran shuts down for two days because of severe heat. CDC research suggests leprosy may be endemic to Florida. In our top story, Fitch downgrades the U.S. credit rating. Here are the facts as agreed upon by USA Today, Politico, New York Times, Reuters, and NPR Online News. Fitch Ratings on Tuesday announced it has downgraded the credit rating of the U.S. one notch from AAA to AA+, over what it called eroded confidence in fiscal management after numerous political standoffs related to the debt ceiling. Fitch also cited the possibility of a recession, an inability of lawmakers to reach a consensus on fiscal issues, and continued denial of the results of the 2020 presidential election as facets of its decision. This downgrade comes two months after lawmakers spent weeks negotiating over whether to raise the debt limit, only to agree at the last minute before a default would have occurred. Fitch previously flagged a potential downgrade in May and then said it would make its decision after reviewing the third quarter of this year. U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen said that the downgrade was based on outdated information and she called the U.S. economy fundamentally strong. Thanks, Eric. Here on the podcast, we like to separate the facts from the narrative spin. Eric just laid out the facts on that first story. I'm going to start with our first round of narrative spins, beginning with a Democratic narrative provided by MSNBC. The GOP is clearly to blame for this debt downgrade because of the debt ceiling and 2020 election embarrassments. Luckily, a similar downgrade didn't dramatically harm the country a decade ago. But if there's injury after this one, it will be the Republicans' fault. We counter that with a Republican narrative coming from Red State. The Biden administration continues to refuse to take the blame for its reckless spending. Republicans, as members of the fiscally responsible party, certainly can't be at fault for damaging Fitch's confidence. Hopefully, Democrats will get the message when they'll be inevitably rejected in the next election. And from time to time, we get statistics-based nerd narratives from the Pentaculous prediction community. We've got a nerd narrative here that says there's a 1% chance that the U.S. will default on its sovereign debt before 2024. Want to help us improve the news? Go to improvethenews.org slash pod and take our quick survey and tell us what you think. And now back to the news. Donald Trump has been indicted in a federal probe regarding January 6th. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Reuters, Al Jazeera, Financial Times, CBS, Newsweek, and NPR Online News. On Tuesday, former U.S. President Donald Trump was indicted on four counts of attempting to overturn the 2020 presidential election, the third time he has been criminally charged in four months. Trump was accused of attempting to defraud the U.S., obstructing and impending January 6 congressional proceedings, acting against the right to have one's vote counted, and obstructing the counting and certification of the vote. The charges follow the end of an inquiry led by federal special counsel Jack Smith, 
who also accused Trump of attempting to obstruct the bedrock function of the U.S. government in order to stay in power. The indictment also lists six unnamed individuals as co-conspirators alongside the former president, who allegedly assisted Trump in his criminal efforts to overturn the election and retain power. Trump, who is seeking to be re-elected as president in 2024, accused the charges of being fictitious and intentionally brought right in the middle of his presidential campaign. He also accused Smith of interfering with the 2024 election by putting out another fake indictment. Trump is also facing charges in two other federal cases concerning the alleged withholding of classified documents in Florida, as well as accusations of hush money payments in New York in 2016. Adam, thank you for the facts of that story. Our first spin is a Democratic narrative coming from The Guardian. The indictment adds to Trump's growing mountain of legal woes, and every time he speaks, the former president provides prosecutors with even more evidence. Finally, there has been some justice and accountability when it comes to the former president, and not a moment too soon with 2024 just around the corner. That's going to be followed up with a pro-Trump narrative provided by the conservative Treehouse. While Jack Smith was assigned to investigate the January 6th Capitol riot, he failed to clearly find anything criminally related to what actually happened on that day. The Biden administration and Department of Justice continues with its corrupt and weaponized witch hunt against Donald Trump. And we have a nerd narrative coming from Metaculous Prediction Community. They say there's a 33% chance that Donald Trump will be jailed or incarcerated before 2030. Russia strikes grain silos in Odessa. Here are the facts as agreed upon by BBC News, Associated Press, and Ukraine Forum. Russian drones targeted Ukraine's grain infrastructure in the southern Odessa region on Wednesday, striking port facilities in the city of Ismail on the River Danube, a short distance from NATO member country Romania. Ukraine's defense ministry said that an elevator used for loading grain was damaged in the overnight attack. Meanwhile, emergency service crews could be seen extinguishing a large fire at the facility. Odessa Governor Ole Kuyper said there were no reports of any casualties. After pulling out of the Black Sea grain deal, Russia has repeatedly targeted ports in the Odessa region. The sites have facilitated an alternative route for exporting grain out of Ukraine following the deal's collapse. In this most recent attack, Ukrainian officials said air defenses brought down a total of 23 drones over the country, including all 10 over Kyiv. It was unclear how many drones penetrated. In Kyiv, city officials said that drone debris fell in three districts of the city, causing minor damage to non-residential buildings and roads, saying that no serious destruction or fires. There have been no reports on casualties, said the head of the military administration in Kyiv, Serhei Popko. Meanwhile, in the wider Kyiv region, officials said that drone debris caused a fire in a private home, damaging its garage, a car, and the surrounding area. Another falling drone damaged the roof of a local business. Thanks, Eric. We're going to start off with a pro-Ukraine narrative provided by Pravda. Russia has once again targeted Ukraine's civilian ports and its grain export facilities. Not only is this an attack on the livelihood of Ukrainians, but it's also threatening the food security of millions of people. The world must respond to these acts of terrorism. A pro-Russian narrative comes from TASS. Russia has consistently said that it's willing to return to the grain deal, as long as the previously agreed-upon conditions regarding the lifting of sanctions on Russian grain exports are met. There can be no progress on this matter until that is achieved. 
And we're going to wrap it up with a nerd narrative that says there's a 2% chance that Ukraine will receive a security guarantee from another country before 2024. And that's according to the Metaculous Prediction community. Well, now that Kiev is gluten-free, do you feel like once this is all said and done, you may plan a trip there? Because I know you have trouble with uh, wheat and those sorts of things. I do, but man, I really love me some bread. I can't pass up some bread. So maybe if I can smuggle some bread into Ukraine, you know. You know what the penalty is for bread smuggling in Kiev? No, what is it? I don't know. I think you need to to find out. India's Supreme Court hears challenges on Kashmir's special status removal. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Associated Press, Al Jazeera, Independent, IndyTV.com, and The Hindu. India's Supreme Court has begun hearing challenges on a 2019 law that stripped the Muslim-majority Kashmir region of its semi-autonomy. This drove the region into two territories that are directly run by the central government. On August 5, 2019, Prime Minister Narendra Modi's Hindu nationalist government removed Article 370 of the Constitution, which left the two territories, Ladakh and Jammu Kashmir, without an independent legislature. The High Court will now weigh the law's constitutionality. Challengers say the decision to demote the region from a state to a territory, as well as strip it of its own flag, criminal code, and constitution is a violation of the spirit and the letter of the law and an assault on Kashmiri identity. The five-judge court will hear arguments on the removal of Article 370, which was a temporary provision of the Constitution added after the Jammu and Kashmir Constituent Assembly dissolved in 1957. The hearings will continue Thursday and last on a day-to-day basis. Senior advocate Kapil Sibal told Chief Justice D.Y. Chandrachud that Article 370 was no longer a temporary provision and that Parliament violated Article 354 of the Constitution by establishing itself as the main legislative body of Jammu and Kashmir. Modi's government also passed a law allowing Indian nationals living in the region for 15 years or studying in it for seven to become permanent residents. While supporters say the actions have bolstered economic development, Kashmiris say that Hindu replacement migration is fundamentally changing the region. Adam, thanks for those facts. The first spin is Narrative A, coming from PAC Observer. Prime Minister Modi and his Hindu nationalist government are abusing their power to target Muslims in Kashmir, violating their rights and spreading Islamophobia. Kashmir had operated with its semi-autonomous status for decades before Modi's fascist government decided to illegally occupy and control the region. Kashmiris must be free to practice their religion and live how they wish, without the Indian government illegally imposing its will on them. That's followed up with a Narrative B provided by Op India. The abrogation of Article 370 wasn't just a legal decision. It has also been a major win for the Indian and Kashmiri economies. In the four years since the provision's removal, Jammu and Kashmir have seen unprecedented economic development, peace, and prosperity. While some Muslim separatists advocate for violent separation, most can see that everyone has benefited from the government's decision to do away with the temporary Article 370. The Metaculous Prediction community gives us a nerd narrative saying there's a 50% chance that India's rating in the Freedom in the World report will be at least 64.98 in 2024. 
Thank well, God for shoot. that. I'm glad it's not. Yeah. Geez, I, I couldn't imagine. I was concerned it was, before. That was too. Yeah. Anything below 64 is there. Yeah. So they're like right on the line, you know. They really are. You know, if they were tipping it at 64.99, I would be a, just, a, I'd be just uh, a tad concerned. A, right, right, right. But yeah. uh, they're, they're right there. Perfect, yeah. perfect little spot. Yes, you know? they are. According to a special report, thousands could die from United Kingdom foreign aid cuts. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Yahoo News, Guardian, Independent, BBC News, and iNews. On Wednesday, the UK's International Development Committee published a report warning that cuts in the government's overseas budget could see thousands of women die worldwide. According to the assessment, a 76% reduction in aid for Afghanistan could leave women and girls without critical services. While in Africa, women could see a 100% increase in pregnancy-related deaths and hundreds of thousands could lose access to safe abortions. The report further predicts that the cuts could deny 500,000 women and children access to health care in Yemen, jeopardize girls' education in Ethiopia, and neglect treating violence against women in South Sudan and Somalia. Although official development assistance spending will slightly rise in 2023 and 2024, before increasing by 12% to 8.3 billion pounds or 10.6 billion US dollars in 2024-25. These plans are actually a reduction to pre-pandemic levels. In 2020, the government announced it would temporarily reduce its overseas aid from 0.7% to 0.5% of gross national income. This is the first time the UK has published detailed calculations regarding the impact of its spending reductions some of which reportedly come after the Home Office, spent about 25% of the aid budget on housing refugees, particularly amid a surge in asylum seekers. Meanwhile, in 2022, the Chancellor of the Exchequer stated that overseas aid spending isn't expected to reach its pre-pandemic levels until 2027. All right, Eric, we're going to start with the right narrative provided by The Spectator. The pandemic-era aid cuts were undoubtedly a difficult decision, but a necessary one. The UK facing an unprecedented economic crisis can only spread itself so thin. As it recovers, so will its overseas aid, as detailed by the government. The Tories will focus on programs addressing humanitarian crisis, protecting women and girls, and supporting the world's most vulnerable while delivering value for taxpayer money. The left narrative comes from ReliefWeb. The UK has made significant cuts to its foreign aid budget, which is both short-sighted and immoral. Reducing aid shrinks the country's global influence and further destabilizes the world as food crises and conflict force millions to flee their homes. Although the UK has outlined plans to increase aid in the faraway future, its assistance is barely a third of what it was three years ago, which will have untold consequences for most of the vulnerable. The Pittsburgh synagogue attacker gets the death sentence. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Guardian, Fox News, Al Jazeera, and New York Post. 50-year-old Robert Bauer, the man who shot and killed 11 worshipers at the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, in October 2018, was sentenced to death by a jury on Wednesday. The federal jury, which began deliberating Tuesday, is the same one that convicted Bowers in mid-June on 63 charges including hate crimes resulting in death and obstruction of the free exercise of religion resulting in death. The jury found that Bowers was motivated by his hatred of Jewish people, also noting that he chose to maximize the devastation, amplify the harm of his crimes, and instill fear by choosing the historically Jewish community surrounding Tree of Life. Instead of contesting his guilt, 
Bauer's lawyer tried to avoid capital punishment by emphasizing evidence of a horrific childhood marked by trauma and neglect. They also claimed he suffered from untreated mental illness that led to a delusional belief that Jews were part of a plan to genocide white people. Referring to Bauer's history of posting anti-Semitic tropes on social media, U.S. Attorney for the Western District of Pennsylvania Eric Alshane said, Do not be numb to it. Remember what it means. This defendant targeted people solely because of the faith that they chose. To impose the death penalty, jurors must find that aggravating circumstances outweigh mitigating factors. These factors may have included the vulnerability of Bauer's elderly and vulnerable victims and his deliberate targeting of Jewish people. Those were the facts, and we begin our round of spins with Narrative A coming from Forward.com. Bowers committed the ultimate evil when he attacked the Pittsburgh synagogue, which is why the death penalty is the one and only punishment he deserves. There are no ethical or religious reasons to spare the perpetrator's life after such a terrible act. That's going to be followed up with a narrative B provided by Jerusalem Post. The death penalty is ineffective and inhumane, no matter the crime committed. Instead of killing Bowers, the government has a responsibility to educate and rehabilitate him. Dialogue is the better and more just course of action. Anti-Semitism should be tackled with education. Disturbing news coming from China as 20 are dead, as heavy rains batter Beijing. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Guardian, BBC News, Global Times, Associated Press, and Reuters. On Tuesday, Typhoon Doksuri brought heavy rain and widespread flooding to northern China, causing at least 20 deaths in Beijing. More than 52,000 people have been evacuated as Beijing saw an average of 10 inches of rain from last Saturday to Monday. The rains are likely to continue this week and could exacerbate flooding in the neighboring city of Tianjin and in Hebei province, as officials report at least nine deaths in Hebei. China has earmarked 110 million yuan, or 15.43 million U.S. dollars, for flood prevention and search and rescue, with over 500 rescuers reportedly working in Beijing, while military helicopters were being used to airdrop supplies to the areas most effective. Hebei has been one of the hardest-hit areas, with officials saying at least 850,000 people have been relocated. The regional rain has shattered records, with rains as of Wednesday pushing the total seen this week up to 29 inches, past 1891's record of 24. Over 9,000 rescuers are working in Hebei's Zhuzhou City, southwest of Beijing, where waterlogged areas are said to be twice the size of Paris, as rainwater discharge from Beijing flows into the city. Doksuri claimed at least a dozen lives as it swept through the Philippines and Taiwan last week before reaching China, with Typhoon Kanun expected to reach China's coastal cities of Zhejiang and Fujian this week as it moves through the East China Sea. Thank you, Eric, for the tragic facts of that story. We have an anti-China narrative provided by The Guardian. As China faces once-in-a-generation flooding, it is disturbing to hear the reports that China and Saudi Arabia may have obstructed climate change decisions in the G20 last week. China, which accounts for half of the world's coal production, has resisted calls to curb emissions, which continue to increase. China is seeing the real impacts of climate inaction this week, and it will hopefully spur change in Beijing. China Daily gives us the pro-China narrative. The PRC has been at the forefront of flood prevention as the country ramps up search and rescue efforts to minimize the loss of life. For the first time in its history, specially constructed reservoirs to detain floodwaters were put in use and greatly minimized damage from flooding. 
China will do whatever is necessary to mitigate the impacts of these typhoons and build even more resilient measures for the future. News coming out of Iran declaring a two-day holiday for unprecedented heat. Here are the facts as agreed upon by DW.com, New York Times, SBS News, AL Monitor, Radio Free Europe, and Radio Liberty. On Tuesday, the government of Iran declared a two-day holiday covering Wednesday and Thursday in response to what it stated as an unprecedented heat wave that poses a threat to public health. Temperatures in Iran have soared past 40 Celsius, or 104 degrees Fahrenheit, and could reach 50 Celsius, or 122 degrees Fahrenheit, in the south of the nation this week. The move will see schools, banks, and government agencies shudder, and the Iranian health ministry is warning of the risks the heat poses to the elderly, children, and those with underlying health conditions. Electricity usage is also set to reach record highs. In June, Iran switched to daylight savings time for government agencies in a bid to save electricity amid the intense heat. Over 1,000 individuals in southeastern Sistan Baluchistan province have been hospitalized in recent days due to the heat, which is one of the most severely affected regions. Iran's meteorological office has reported a rate of warming of 0.4 Celsius per decade, above the global average of 0.2 degrees Celsius. Wildfires have torn across the wooded Zargos mountain range, and water resources also face increasing strain. Iran's daily electricity consumption is set to surpass 72,000 megawatts. The capital of Tehran has seen temperatures of 39 degrees Celsius, or 102 degrees Fahrenheit, while the southwestern province of Khuzestan has seen the mercury climb above 50 degrees Celsius, or 122 degrees Fahrenheit. Some regions across the country are protesting water cuts spurred by the rising heat. Sistan Baluchistan province has protested Afghanistan's recent damming of the Helmand River, exacerbating water shortages in a country where 97% of the country is experiencing some degree of drought. Adam, thank you for the facts of that story. A pro-establishment narrative is our first spin, and it's coming from Iran International. While Iran may blame the West's sanctions for their struggles with the climate, it is Tehran's mismanagement of resources that has exacerbated heat waves into a protracted and severe crisis. Iran's leaders have broadly ignored the climate crisis and are now reaping the consequences. These holidays are a cover to prepare for Iranians for a new normal of water and electricity shortages. That's followed up with an establishment critical narrative provided by the UN News. U.S. punitive sanctions placed on Iran have constrained any attempt Tehran makes to transition to a greener, climate-resilient country. By being excluded from the world's economy, Iran is forced to continue its use of inefficient and polluting technology. This will prevent the nation from lessening its emissions and will sadly lead to more suffering internally. The U.S. must ease its cruel sanctions. The Metaculous Prediction community's room full of pocket protectors have come up with this narrative. They say there's a 49% chance that wildfires will destroy a total exceeding 10 million hectares of global tree cover in any year by the end of 2030. According to a recent report from the CDC, leprosy is potentially endemic in Florida. Here are the facts as agreed upon by NBC, Emerging Infectious Diseases Journal, Forbes, CBS, Fox News, and Guardian. According to a research paper published by the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, or CDC, on Tuesday, leprosy cases in central Florida have increased dramatically over the last 10 years. 
The researchers suggest an increase of leprosy cases lacking traditional risk factors in Florida, quote, contribute to rising evidence that leprosy has become endemic in the southeastern United States. Florida reported 27 leprosy cases in 2020, 13 in 2021, and 8 in 2022. But cases are rising again, with 16 reported cases since the beginning of 2023. The CDC report reveals that Central Florida accounts for nearly one-fifth of all leprosy cases in the U.S. and 81% of the cases reported in Florida. More than 200,000 leprosy cases are reported annually in over 100 countries. Though historically uncommon in the U.S., 159 new cases were reported in the country in 2020. The number of reported cases of leprosy in the southeastern U.S. more than doubled over the last decade, the CDC reported, with about 34% of the cases reported between 2015 and 2020 being locally acquired. Thank you, Eric. We're going to start this round of narrative spins with a narrative A provided by CNN. Leprosy in the U.S. previously affected people who had immigrated from leprosy endemic areas. However, the exponential rise in locally acquired disease suggests Central Florida could be an unexpected leprosy hotbed. Nonetheless, there's no need for alarm or to cause a public health panic as the numbers remain relatively low. Moreover, the infection is curable and doesn't spread through casual physical contact. The Hill gives us Narrative B. Leprosy is increasing in the U.S. not because of immigration, but because of poverty, cramped housing, poor nutrition, and possible malfunction of the body's immune system. Scientists, physicians, and the federal government must look into environmental reservoirs like plants, soil, and water as potential transmission sources to better understand how and why this biblical disease is spiking in Florida. Thanks for joining us for the Improve the News podcast for Thursday, August 3rd, 2023. Want to know more about Improve the News? Check out our website, improvethenews.org. You can also download the Improve the News app on the Apple App Store or Google Play. For Adam Clark, I'm Eric Steiner, inviting you to join us next time on Improve the News. Improve the News.